What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers. I am Sprinkle the Eternal Crimson Weasel, also known as George. Um, I am here freezing fucking cold King Lake because fuck you, apparently. But I'm joined by the man, the myth, the tale told across the stars. Mr. Travis Croft, how are you, sir? I'm fine and dandy. And unlike, I imagine, much like a great deal of our audience, I needed an explanation why what the fuck sprinkle was and why you were wearing I, I, my initial thought was he might have been wearing a knuckles uh onesie from from sonic but um apparently it's from uh critical role mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, particularly from campaign two of course it is yes yeah. um uh and you yeah, know all of that of course you know i i'm i'm across my critical roles Bizzo, <laughs> after my deep and abiding love for vox mash and i or whatever it was called the cartoon but uh, there's one thing, you know, you just got to be nice sometimes and go let people enjoy things despite the fact that it thoroughly goes over my head. <laughs> I don't think you've ever said anything quite as old manny as that phrase. <laughs> oh, I used to be with it when they changed what it was. Um, now it scares me. <laughs> well, I find this is a, I, I, I'm increasingly finding that happening to me and it's frustrating. Like you don't hear that for City very much, so you probably haven't seen them, but in and around the CBD now, we have a lot of these uh, e-scooters everywhere that people can just I've jump on and, yeah. and put the phone and ride around everywhere. And I fucking hate these things. Mm-hmm. I fucking hate them. And I hate everyone who rides one. If you ride one, you're a bad person and you should go on the, down to the hall of mirrors and have a good look at yourself. Now, look, if people are like, oh, no, they're really if, you know, good for the environment, for people to get around on, and they're easy, you know, like they're more efficient and yada, 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 and but every fuckwit who drives past me at 20 k's an hour or whatever, however, top speed on the footpath <laughs> with no heads, no um, helmet on and almost bowling people over. And all my favorites is getting seeing two drunk people get on them together because they're oh, absolutely God. not designed for two people and they're not designed yes. to be driven while drunk. No. Um, yes. But, no. you know, the, the cops, they don't care. they got bigger shit, to, bigger shit to do. So, this is my little old man around going, I fucking hate them. I feel, <laughs> I, feel, I really feel like they're here to stay. Um, people seem to really like them. And um, uh, especially it's, it's a younger person's game. I feel like it, I would be guaranteed to go A over T if I tried writing one. It's, that's a thorough <laughs> guarantee right here. But um, so it's not just critical role that gets my old man juices. You know, <laughs> man yells at cloud. Some people on scooters. Um, <laughs> probably, probably old, some young folks who don't care for it as well, but Jesus Christ. Um, it, um, you know, maybe I'll get a taste for it if you ever get your D&D campaign you promised off the ground. Um, maybe I'll understand what the uh, what the fuss is about about D&D period. The amount of people that now want me to DM them, I feel like I should charge and I could give up my job and just become a, uh, a professional DM. You know, asking, saying people want you to DM them sounds like something you should probably put in your FetLife profile, but, you know. Well, you know what? I am officially a dungeon master for at least eight people. And, does and that every involve... single one of them has yet to determine a safe word with does me. I say, does that involve a gimp suit or not? Um... Well, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing my equivalent. Oh, right. This is the uh, D&D gimp suit. Um, <laughs> somewhat less sexy, but okay. Um, hey, it's, it's, gone, I, it, uh, it's sexy because of the tail. Look at that tail. Um, that's some fairy <laughs> shit happening right there. Oh, yeah. 
I did. Yeah, I don't want to wear COVID wrath of the theories on TikTok. We'll get cancelled faster than I ever would saying anything about Brie Larson. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get on with the show, shall we? Shall we? Shall we do our chain movie conversation as is? sort of tradition for us this has become a tradition yeah. we can figure it out it's a bit like a chain movie just sort of accidentally became tradition about two years ago when we're like this is fun let's just keep doing it and like yeah here you are two years later and you're like i think it's still fun yeah um, yep, i think so too all right so you had the keys and took us to kate and leopold yeah so last week we um, talked about both of us really enjoyed uh, Denny Villeneuve's debut English language um, feature of Prisoners, which starred Hugh Jackman, Jake Gyllenhaal, Terence Howard. Uh, no, yes, Terence Howard, um, Olivia Davis, and uh, Maria Bello, as well as Paul Dano. And um, we both loved that. And I decided to follow on very quickly. I chose Kate Leopold. For a number of reasons, not only has it obviously got Hugh Jackman in the the lead role, but it actually also has Viola Davis in it as well. There's also a connection from last week. Yes, so it is it is a strong connection. Um, but this is one that neither of us had seen, and this was obviously playing into a little bit more of the not typical our kind of movie. This is very much a a rom com, which we don't often do in the chain movies. So it's a nice variation for both of us. And it's directed by one James Mangold, who has as many fans of Hugh Jackman, in particular the character of Wolverine will know, has worked with Hugh Jackman a few times now. Um, so this is a quintessential um, rom-com. I mean, it stars one of the former queens of rom-coms, Meg Ryan. And it's about an English duke from 1876, who is inadvertently dragged to modern-day New York, where he falls for a plucky advertising executive. I feel like in romance movies, the plucky advertising executive is the number one role, the number one job that um, either the male or female or both lead. It all, They always seem to be in advertising, don't they? It's a helpful little... Um occupation to give your protagonist um or your love interest not exactly mm. sure why maybe it's um maybe it's just the writers writing from what they know how many of these people wrote copy or you know jingles or something before they went into um writing uh writing screenplays um this is an interesting film in in, in a, a couple of ways uh and only a couple yes. um <laughs> i feel like this is the last gasp of the 90s rom-com yeah, you know, like there was that whole wave of nineties rom coms. You know, mm-hmm. uh, from Harry Met Sally. I think maybe started it, and this is kind of the last yeah. gasp. And ironically, that both of them starred Meg Ryan. But they mm-hmm. don't. I think rom coms kind of changed direction a yeah. little bit after this. Um, it really has that nineties style formula mm-hmm. of, of rom coms, and that's where those plucky advertising executives yeah. comes about. And, and I wonder if maybe that's a little bit to do with the fact that by the 90s, we kind of accept, or it just become, the late 80s maybe, it just mm. became accepted that women in the corporate world was a thing. Yeah. yeah the career woman was kind mm. of a, a growing and popular mm. trope. Mm. And, you know, this is maybe where that plucking, plucky advertising executive becomes almost the norm in terms of um, romantic comedy uh, protagonists. <laughs> 
you know, she's got to choose between her career and the man she loves kind of mm. angle, which is a, mm, kind of here, but not really. But maybe I suppose I'm just sort of thinking while I was watching it is that, that I feel like it's just such a thing these days that, like, you wouldn't even question it for a second, the whole career. It would just be not cool, I think, maybe, to have that angle in a rom-com now. Mm. I feel like it's um, that overall rom-coms have, have evolved and they've matured in a certain way where a lot of more modern rom-coms do actually have a slightly more serious note to them as well. Like, if they were to make this right now, I think that there would be more of that um, the weight on Kate um, and play a little bit more on the serious side of sacrificing yourself or your your personal relationships for something uh, for work the the idea i mean back in the 90s the idea of work life balance it was kind of unusual and now it's something that every 6 months you get a corporate email come through just like hey we're promoting um mental health week for our business and don't forget work work life balance and all of that 15 minutes extra in your meeting this week to cry yeah (laughs) yeah um it's now become something of a cliche that idea but to to the credit of rom-coms and things they they do try and put a bit more serious like we've talked about crazy rich asians last week interesting Um, i'm just having a thought though what was mm. the last romantic comedy you saw, or you can think of? Crazy Rich Asians. And that's four years ago now. Yeah. yeah. I just did a quick search on 2020's romantic comedies. Mm. And of these films, films I have heard of, Lost City, don't think that's much of a rom-com, but it's kind mm. of is. Mm-hmm. The French Dispatch, that's a Paul Thomas Anderson. Rom-com? Don't okay. know about that, but okay. And the other one in here I've heard of is Licorice Pizza, which I watched about two-thirds of and had to stop because it was unbearable. Um, <laughs> but they, and it, and the 2020s are only two years old. And it's been an odd two years. But I'm like, mm-hmm. I guess it's kind of a genre that has maybe out of fashion right now. Yeah, it was, it's kind of like the, the teen comedy. We, we've talked about it, that American Pie-style comedy and the Animal House and uh, Groundhog uh, – not Groundhog Day – um, but that that genre of comedies has very much kind of fallen to the wayside. Um, yeah, I I don't know. It just for whatever reason, um, studios don't seem to really push them as like. The, oh, well, actually, you know what? I I reckon the the thing that killed them is the rise of Marvel. Frankly, well, it's, I mean, superhero films have just taken up takes up so much space in the. Yeah, and just, it, it's like, franchise films come take up some yeah, market. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's really hard to to gain good press on a movie, even if you've got um, a budget of fifty million. And let's face it, if we were using actors of modern day variations of Meg Ryan and Hugh Jackman, they can command a good amount of money, and it's not going to be a cheap movie to make regardless you'd probably be able to maybe squeeze it through with a couple of famous um leads for 50 million um but then the companies that produce these and push them are going to kind of go all right we're going to expect 200 million 
that just doesn't sound successful when you're going, oh, the summer's big movies of Top Gun Maverick uh, in four days in the US has made $162 million. Um, I popped up in my Facebook memories today, but I think two years ago this week is when we watched um we watched yeah. Top Gun and I just it popped up in my Facebook memories me saying it was bloody awful and <laughs> and the shocked voices of people, oh my god, you mustn't speak poorly of of Maverick in an Iceman and I'm like I, I'm curious to see Maverick. I would like to see it, but I just don't think I want to give it my money. As um, an interesting note as well, Top Gun was our third movie, uh, no, our fourth movie in Chain Movies. We had The Streets of Fire, then we had The Philadelphia Experiment, but I can't remember the other one. Then it was Final Countdown. Ah, that's right. Then it was Top Gun. Yeah. So we're two years ahead of the curve, man. Well, you're right. How do you stick the only romantic comedy franchise I can think of off the top of my head mm. is Bridget Jones. Yeah. There are three of them? Two of them? Three of them? I can't remember. Three, I think. Twilight, maybe? Is that a rom- I don't know. It's a rom-com. I don't think it's a it's comedy. Not, it's not certainly not intentionally a comedy. Touche. <laughs> 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 um, so hmm. for those who are uh, have unfortunately and deprived in the universe have been un- unfamiliar with the story hmm. of Kate Leopold, uh, Hugh uh, Jackman plays uh, Leopold, who is a duke mm-hmm. of some description. For some reason, it's based in the United States. And I think it's well known in the United States and their love of royalty. I mean, that's, that's well known. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> based in the States. Um, and uh, he's an inventor <laughs> of some sort who yeah. is in the process or has at that point in the start of a film invented what will later become the elevator, though he hasn't quite, mm. I guess, realized it becoming a thing yet. He, it's something that's he created. Um, yeah. He has is under serious pressure from his family to get married. As mm-hmm. despite being royalty, the family is impoverished, which is pretty standard sort of trope for, for royals. And yeah. the first sort of night we meet him, he's having a, a a dance or something at his place, where he's meeting a bunch of rich young women from rich eligible families. Mm-hmm. However, that that day and later that evening, he sees a strange man. Uh, mm-hmm. taking well, what to us would see is taking photos mm-hmm. of a small camera that is Stuart Besser, played by Lee Schreiber. Mm-hmm. And naturally, seeing this strange man who he saw taking photos of a, an opening of a bridge earlier mm-hmm. in the day, and now in his home, he mm-hmm. decides the best course of action is to engage in a chase mm-hmm. on horseback at some point, yes, through a 18th uh, and 1800s New York City. And not only that, but follow him, follow a random guy onto a building site of a bridge. And out onto a, a precarious ledge. Yes. Um, so far, notice, entirely logical. He doesn't know this man, and has not done him any ill. Mm-hmm. He's been a bit weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's really no explanation as to why he's doing yeah. this. And off this precarious ledge, they fall. Mm-hmm. And we defined that um, they have fallen through a portal time. in time or something. It just happens to be at exactly the right moment they've fallen through this portal in time as well. We find mm-hmm. out later timing is very important. Mm-hmm. And he wakes up on the couch of Stuart Besser in 2001 New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stuart lives upstairs from his ex-girlfriend mm-hmm. in the same apartment with him. That's got to be a bit awkward. 
I've got to say it right now because, like, let me tell you what, I don't like seeing my neighbors in the lift in my apartment building. Fuck <laughs> seeing my ex girlfriend in there. Fuck that. I would take the stairs right. for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> um, I am just going to raise the bat and let that one go through to the keeper. Um, his girlfriend is played, of course, by the, uh, the one, the only Meg Ryan playing Kate McKay, who is a plucky mm-hmm. advertising executive. Did you know she was a plucky advertising executive? I absolutely knew that she was a plucky advertising executive because she wore a pantsuit and at the same time was pratfalling all over the place throughout the whole movie. That's it. And that's because she's a plucky advertising executive. Yes, she does is, market research. She's always got a cup of coffee in her hand. <laughs> and she yells at her assistant. That, that's what makes her <laughs> that's what makes her plucky. Um, and so they've been broken up for a while. Yet mm-hmm. she still does this thing where she'll walk up the fire escape to yell at him through her window, his window, mm. um, and hijinks ensue, and she finds out that this guy is in the apartment. Um, and Stuart is incapacitated by falling mm. down an elevator shaft, which is yeah. the one interesting premise of this film I actually really, really liked. Yes, like they, yeah, yeah, they do nothing with it. They didn't do it. They mention it, but they don't. Yeah. It's more like a, a gag. Like so, Hugh yeah. Jackman, being the inventor of the elevator, had been <laughs> picked up and moved forward. You know, to two thousand and one. Mm-hmm. Somehow, the elevator is never invented, so yeah. all the elevators in the city stop working. Yeah, which is why he physically opens the door and he falls down the elevator shaft, and like, you're like, oh, that's actually a very interesting idea. Yes. And but they they do nothing with it. There's um like a brief scene or two where Stuart is in hospital, and because he's rambling about all this stuff, he gets put in a psychiatric ward for a, for a brief stint. Um, where he but he never actually says anything about I've I've got to get this man back in time to fix all the elevators or anything like that. There's no he'd never actually get you never get a chance to actually even start fielding what possible theories it could be. And it's like, no, 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 no. Just look at the pretty, very obvious storyline of love over here, please. So into the mix, we have Brecken Meyer, who is um, Kate's brother, I think, yes. who is close to Stuart for some reason. Mm-hmm. And again, just randomly wanders up into his apartment and hangs out in there, which is not the only one. A small boy who lives in the apartment <laughs> also just randomly wanders into his apartment to watch t- oh i watch tv with Stuart on a tuesday because my mum works late and i'm like oh sweet innocent 2001 a yeah. small unrelated male child yep wanders into your apartment mm-hmm. and you're like go watch tv with a stranger and he's that's cool mm-hmm. yeah no, that's cool yep uh for, yeah no that uh, that wouldn't happen today i think mm-hmm. um Anyway, so Brecken Meyer he plays Charlie McKay. He mm-hmm. also befriends befriends Leopold. He mm-hmm. believes Leopold is an actor like him. Yeah. And everything him method. playing this eighteen seventy six guy is him just being method. Yeah. Which again, I I think that's kind of a fun way of having that character. But Charlie doesn't come across as stupid enough for that to be the case, and he's also not pretty enough to even go into the so like the Derek Zoolander level of farcical dumb guy. If he was Derek Zoolander through and through, it's like, okay, yeah, I can see why he thinks like, oh yes, it's a method. Yeah. That's 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 amazing. <laughs> but he's he's just 
a typical Brick and Maya character, honestly. Whereas I'm like, yeah, you're, you're a stoner. It, so if you have a plot sort of happening at the same time, the uh, agency that um, Kate works for, because she's a plucky advertising executive. Um, Did you say she's a plucky advertising she's plucky executive? and she works in advertising. You didn't, may not have noticed that. Um, but <laughs> the agency she works for is being sold or merged. That's just sort of a couple of throwaway lines. It's not really actually mm. a plot. They sort of introduce the element. But again, it's something you just leave hanging on the line and never actually yeah. use. But we do see quite a bit of her boss, JJ Cannon, played by the great Bradley Whitford at the mm-hmm. height of his uh, uh, West Wing powers, I think, around yeah. about this point in time. Yeah, yeah. Um, he plays a corporate asshole beautifully well. Are you telling me that there's a corporate asshole to juxtapose against the aspiring? She's an advertising executive and she's yeah. quite plucky. And the guy who owns the company is a corporate asshole. That is amazing. You heard it here first. So he is um, cracking, sort of very softly cracking onto her at the start. Gets a little bit harder about cracking onto her later on. Yep. Um, she has a plucky assistant. In fact, I would say Darcy, played by Natasha Leone, is pluckier than Kate Meg Ryan. I would not call Kate Ryan actually a plucky advertising executive. I would call her a middling advertising executive, potentially, or just like yeah. a run of the mill because, like, Darcy strikes me as plucky, not not Kate, but yeah, no, that's she, she has to run around and get coffees, and she's an assistant, you know, in the advertising industry. Um, it's a pity Bradley Whitford's character wasn't named uh, Harvey or something like that, because then it would have probably been more fucking appropriate. <laughs> I like, I like. Um, <laughs> so we've got all these elements in play, and in amongst it all, you'd be shocked, Kate and Leopold fall in love. No, no, and, and did you? What did you? What did you make of that? So, we've got Meg Ryan, as you said, mm-hmm. queen of rom- rom-coms. This is the end of her career, by the way. Check out her IMDb page. She yeah. did fuck all else after this. Like, n- yeah, she hasn't made a feature film in a very, very long time. So, I think 2015 was her last credited role, and that was a cameo or something, yeah. and it was not actually a proper. It was just a, some look like a student yeah. film or something, frankly. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, Ithaca, a film I've never heard of. The last That's film right. I can actually say, <laughs> a Serious Moonlight in 2009. Is that a Woody Allen film? No, it's not. <laughs> Thank <laughs> God. Um, but they had Meg Ryan and Timothy Hutton in it, and that's probably the last one, right? Um, yeah. But otherwise, after this, we've got In the Cut, which he directed, which I don't think was very successful, Against the Ropes in The Land of Women hmm. deal. Mom's new boyfriend, my mom's the boyfriend, the women, Sirius Moonlight, Ithaca, and a few other TV shows. Yeah. Someone we should not forget she was a big star in the night. Yeah, she was. Before yeah. Kane Leopold, we had Proof of Life, You've Got Mail, City of Angels, Addicted to Love, Courage Under Fire, French Kiss, IQ, and a Man Loves a Woman. Like this is all rom com, but she was a big, big star. Yeah. Um was. but this is Meg Ryan just doing Meg Ryan, I think. How did, you find, how did it go with you? Um, well, this was as as one career ends, another career begins, essentially, in this case. Um, you know, it was this was a year after he had debuted to the the world as Wolverine in, in X-Men 2000. And um, I think that is the primary reason this was one of um, Meg Ryan's more successful box office takings because people just wanted to see more of Hugh. 
And this is definitely more Hughes' show as a movie. But at the same time, there is no chemistry between the two of them. Um, it is very basic, very standard. Um, it's, as you say, it's Meg Ryan doing Meg Ryan. And she's adorable in very basic, generic, fair. And Hugh Grant, uh, Hugh Jackman is putting on a very stereotypical English accent and being very dapper and gentlemanly. And it seems to be his performance and the way that it's shown in the movie seems to be more of a bizarre criticism of how gentlemanliness has died off in the modern man. It is, isn't it? There's one moment where he coaches um, uh, Breck and Meyer's character through how to woo a, a woman who he's got a crush on mm. and you know it's all about oh a gentleman does this and a lady doesn't want a gentleman who does this and mm. blah 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 and it really is it's it's it, you'd almost expect to see it to be like fuck um, you know <laughs> I, I would almost expect to see it as, as used in as an example in a, in a lecture by jordan peterson or something about how you know <laughs> masculinity has gone backwards in the last you know, like, man, you stand a trade, make your own. Um, um, but, like, um, uh, but it is, you're right, it's a great observation. There really is a lot of oh, men today, you know, they don't know all the great, the gentlemanly mm. things that we used to do, you know, sexual harassment and, you know, marital mm. rape and all those cool things from 1876 or tops. That's the thing. The four, the four males in this, you've got the asshole boss, you've got the... <sighs> Socially unusual Doc Brown like Doc Brown light character of Stephen. You've got the dumb stoner brother, and then you've got the one person that actually seems to be able to engage his brain and be a nice guy. It's like, well, yeah, if that's if that's Meg Ryan's pool of types of men that she can meet in her life. Yeah, I can see why she'd easily go with Hugh Jackman. But it's like, okay, I, I don't get... I, it's it's a weird movie when you kind of go into it and just try and break it down because they've, as you said before, they're sort of like, they plant these brief little things that are sort of like, oh, the, the elevators are disappearing and um, there's there's a merger that's putting, putting a bit pre pressure on. We're not going to do anything with those. We're just going to tell a very basic story here. It's... Howdy, the fresh news, 24-7. Uh, good to see you. Thank you for commenting. If you listen to the audio version of this and you'd like to be acknowledged or ask a question, you too mm -hmm. can be at Fresh News and watch us live on the YouTubes <laughs> and the Twitches and the Facebooks and various things at 7.30-ish Australian Eastern. Very wintry times right now. Um uh, you're right. I, I thought he pulled off pretty well. Hugh's very watchable. My God, he's so handsome when he was a young man. Yeah. I think one of the things I found myself thinking while watching is like missed opportunity that he never played Bond because I think he would have made a remarkable James Bond. Can you imagine? Compare add the gentleman character we saw this week to the bullet gate character we saw last week in Prisoners. I think you'd have a very interesting James Bond character there. Hmm, I, I like that. I like that. Too old now. He's fifty-three, unfortunately. Well, um, that's not stopping people still pushing for Idris Elba. 
Look, I still think I think he would be an amazing choice, but Idris would yeah. be great too if they decide to go in that path. Or that's true. I, I'm sure that the broccolis and the Amazon people will. Um, now this, this was also kind of at the point of uh, Hugh Jackman's career where he was. People were kind of half expecting him to be this new generation's Harrison Ford. You know, he had um, successfully gotten into the X-Men and the mutant superhero things with Wolverine. And um, then he was kind of, people were saying, oh, Van Helsing is going to be his Indiana Jones character. And that movie tanked because it was... (laughs) (laughs) But he was also playing around with some of these rom-coms and starting to get into some more serious stuff. Um, particularly later in his career where he was doing movies like Prisoners um, and The Fountain where he was being a bit more experimental. They're kind of little bits along the lines of what um, Harrison Ford did with Frantic and Witness and Blade Runner and things like that. So it was kind of the heir apparent, but a couple of bad choices and bad movies, they, they nixed that in the bud, but interest is you know in a in an other in an alternative reality we are seeing that we are seeing the interesting thing for me is that for those of us who knew hugh before he was um wolverine Mm. or fish would have been a year or two after this i think if i'm not mistaken Uh, yeah uh, 2001 the same year um busy busy year for um for hugh Mm. yet someone like you swordfish and Kate and Leopold all come out in the same year, 2001. Um, mm-hmm. So it's actually a good observation, actually, because that was probably another action film, a la what you might have expected from next Harrison Ford. What I was going to say is for those of us who are a little bit familiar with um, with Hugh Jackman's work prior mm-hmm. to him being Wolverine, mm-hmm. he was a song and dance man. That was that was what he was in Australia mm-hmm. before he was a big movie star overseas. He was mm-hmm. a song and dance man. Did, and so later on when he went on to do stuff like um, – Whatever that awful uh, showman uh, circus uh, musical was, um, and uh, the boy from Oz and stuff like that, that is strictly in his wheelhouse. Mm. Loves that musical theater kind of thing. Yes, uh, and you know, the fact he's been married to a woman now for 30 years, and you're like, hey, <laughs> um, we're all a bit okay. Good for you, mate. You know, like, um, <laughs> and the same woman for 30 years, Deborah Lee Finesse, uh, one of the uh, Hollywood. Um, Mary's success stories. He played played Peter Allen in the in the Boy Called Oz, uh, Boy from Oz. Um, so, he, mm. and I think he's doing I, I, another big musical in the states right now. I can't recall what it is, but I remember seeing its um, mm. property right now. Um, yeah, that's right. He's, he's been pushing it, and it's apparently doing quite well. So, um, I mean, this is this is his sweet spot, right? Musical yeah. and stuff. So, doing a romantic comedy was actually probably pretty natural tr- progression for him, yeah. considering where he came from. I liked you in this. Um, I like I like Bradley Whitfield in this. I thought mm-hmm. Brecklin Meyer did Brecklin Meyer stuff, and mm-hmm. Leif Schreiber is weird and <laughs> awkward, and he does weird and awkward quite well. Yep. Yep. Um, as I said, I'm a big, 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 big fan of Natasha Leo, and I think she's a massively mm-hmm. underrated actor. And mm-hmm. I really enjoyed her brief moments in this. The time travel angle was a bit much, I think. And it gets a bit convoluted towards the end. And when you have to start explaining how your time travel plot works, mm-hmm. you failed. You failed. I think it. I, I, most of the time, if you're going to have time travel in it, don't explain it. Just 
force the force the audience to go okay there's time travel fine done move on the, the back to the future approach yes so we have we have like one exposition scene kind of in the second film with a, a chalkboard and it's done beautifully mm. and it's kind of like don't think too hard about this stuff because blood will spit out your nose and yes. it will stop making sense so you really don't want you you want to you want to point somebody at the cool shit the car with the cool car mm. don't mm. think about the time travel stuff too mm. hard and unfortunately this film stops to go okay let's explain what's going to happen now because it, uh hugh or leopold decides he's got to go back to 1876 to for reasons um and, <laughs> and uh as we as they spoil for us in the mm. first 10 minutes of a film meg ryan follows him back there mm-hmm. i haven't seen the movie since high school but really it never felt like a time travel story yeah i'd say that's fair um fresh use 24 7 um it's i think we're being a little overly critical perhaps of it being a rom-com time travel movie. Um, but the fact that it's all about a displaced man from another time, you got to bring it up in conversation. Um, I feel like there have been a few rom-coms or uh, comedies with romance elements in them, which have involved time travel to um, different degrees and usually uh, romance and time travel like you think of the lake house and stuff like that the the one that i always think back to is the christopher reeve uh uh jane seymour movie somewhere in time which was really good about its um time travel whether it's whether it's time travel or not they leave that nebulous ultimately i think in my opinion um and it does it really well I think that maybe the time travel element is something that studio executives like because it's like, oh, guys will like that. It kind of feels like that weird tick box that you put into a rom-com to placate the other side. The boyfriend who gets dragged along. Or can yeah. The one I always think of <laughs> is, it's not exactly a time travel one, but it kind of is. Mm. And it reminded me a little bit of this. is Forever Young, the... Um, and Mel Gibson, yeah, and yeah. JJ Abrams wrote that. Yeah, um, as Josh Abrams, believe it or not, mm -hmm. um, one of his first big gigs, I think, in Hollywood. Yeah, um, but uh, the idea of it, it's an interesting angle on it. You can you put mm. another a, a new rapper, you know, a new hat on yeah. a rom com and hopefully get people to enjoy that part of a story. Mm. You're right, maybe I'm being a bit harsh. I just found the, the ending of the film kind of got a little convoluted, and then when you had to explain you know, the story about how your time travel works. Oh, well, no, she was always meant to go back in time. And that's why it doesn't make, doesn't matter that, you mm. know, she is going back in time. The whole butterfly effect thing gets blown out. Yeah. But the fact that they telegraphed that punch in yeah. the first 10 minutes by us seeing Meg Ryan in 1876 at the start of a film, you're like, oh, okay, well, I know Don't what happens. Forget what you saw. Brings up another good point, actually, saying Blast from the Past was a few years before this movie. And that had just brevity and uniqueness to it. And that's that's a time-displaced lover story, as he says. And that that overall works better. And because it kind of it has its little box that it it's setting itself in and it doesn't go outside of those it doesn't try to be smarter it doesn't try to employ other things into it at 
at the last minute or anything like that. It's all to serve the joke of the premise. Um, Interestingly, you brought it up earlier, but hmm. that had Brennan Fraser and Alicia hmm. Silverstone, probably not two of Hollywood's biggest names, fairly enough, but hmm. they had incredible chemistry on the screen together. Hmm. Give me Christopher Walken on top of that being peak Christopher Walken. Yes. It was funny and and and, and yeah and and endearing and and lovable mm-hmm. um i don't think i can employ and the, the people who wrote it um bill kelly not mm-hmm. a particularly noted uh writer of any other sort of thing i can see and he's done anything like that's enchanted mm-hmm. which i think some people liked mm-hmm. um but i don't think i could use lovable or endearing or funny for kate mm-hmm. leopold it was kind of yeah. kind of okay it, was, it felt like a film from a different era yeah, I mean, whereas Blast from the Past is a a, prim- a concept comedy, the idea of someone finally coming out of the out of a bunker after all this time, and they redid it really well with um, uh, the the Kimmy Schmidt TV show as well. Um, that that is the premise, and so the comedy comes from that person displaced out of time. There's basically not a single moment where Leopold is wandering around a modern New York City and seems confused. Everything's just like, well, this is just everything, you know. The only time that that comes up is in the brief scene with Viola Davis where she cites him a ticket for not wanting to pick up dog poo. I, I don't know. And I, and that was the most inaccurate part of a film altogether. New Yorkers do not pick up dog poo. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've been there three times, um, so I think I have a, some standing to say this. I think for me, the Charlotte Observer's review by Lawrence Topman really summed it up best. Mm. Has the sex appeal of a Roadrunner cartoon one-tenth for laughs and equal plausibility? <laughs> I don't think no. you can top that. That's, that's in a line. That is this film. It's not the yeah. worst thing you've ever seen. And I guess, you know, if you wanted to switch your brain off, mm-hmm. you might have some fun with it. But here's the real hot take from me. Mm. I would pick my fake fiance over this any day of the week. Ooh. Ooh. Interesting. Interesting. And mm. you know, a special start for uh, James Mangold's journey to Hollywood is done. Yeah. Bigger and better he, things. He has see. developed far, far better than this. Everyone's going to start somewhere, though, right? That is true. Now, sir, you have the keys. Where are we going next? Did you know that he's going to make the new Indiana Jones film? They're not making another Indiana no, Jones film. Maybe in three. Be a fourth one, right? Nice. Um, uh, I, I actually really applauded your choice from last week. We've had some criticism mm-hmm. from our audience that we pick safe movies mm-hmm. that are inadvertently blokey films. I don't know if I pick blokey films, but maybe it's, safe. it's true that we pick. Um, uh, Hugh's got one more hit in Fresh News. I reckon he does. I reckon Hugh... Uh, could surprise us, uh, and hopefully it's oh. not as not as Wolverine. I think he's a great Wolverine, but I would like to see how Quentin Tarantino would use him in a movie. That would be fascinating. Yeah. Uh, Quentin does have a, I am a fanboy hat on. Mm-hmm. Um, that he does bring his best out in his actors as a rule. Mm-hmm. Um, as I say, but we do get a, we do go safe a little bit. We pick stuff that's kind of broadly in our wheelhouse, you know. Yeah, <laughs> um, stuff we try. We do try to be clear of films we've already seen fifty thousand times. So. Yeah, we did. I don't know about a year ago now. We did just treat ourselves and go and see, um, let ourselves see Big Trouble Little China. But I think we could be forgiven for that because it's a great yeah. movie. Every now, um, but I applaud you for taking us to somewhere we wouldn't normally go. And I'm going to stick on that journey now. Okay. Um, and and you're going to go to a film that maybe 
he's less blokey again, even than Kate and Leopold. So a film, okay. I think, that doesn't have that subplot stuck in there. Okay. For the, boy, for the boyfriend to enjoy. And we're going to follow uh, this, week, this week's very strange little cameo of mm-hmm. Viola Davis. Okay. And where did where she go? There she is there. So we're going to go uh, to... Uh, let me get the year of a film up when it wants to load for me. But mm. we are going to go to the 2011 The Help. Oh, okay. Interesting. So this is an aspiring author during the civil rights movement of the 1960s decides to write a book detailing African-American maids' point of view on the white families for which they work and the mm. hardships they go through on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So this is actually one of the top 250 films on IMDb. It yeah. won an Oscar for Octavia Spencer. Uh, and um, just, to, just to sort of throw the cat amongst the pigeons in here, this has been described as something of a feminist film. So, and, you know, just right. to keep it completely outside our wheelhouse, see, the, the vast majority of the cast in this are women. <laughs> so, um but it's yeah. got quite a good little selection in there. I mean, you've got Emma Stone, Viola Davis, Octavia Spence, Bryce Dallas Howard, Jessica Chastain, and kind of going into like the um, the older generation of actors. You had, uh, I think, I saw CC SpaceX name in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so plenty of space for you to go as well <laughs> after this. Hmm. Um, Virgin. So lots and lots of different exits from here. So there's no death machine. <laughs> you made me work hard for death machine man <laughs> uh it was it was an exit was it was um what's his face the guy from uh grimmer uh, brad, brad dwarf brad dwarf brad dwarf is always the way out yes <laughs> he's the way and the truth brad dwarf he's our um maybe our new religious icon so that'll be next week we'll be watching the help the help uh you can stream it if you're keen and watch it along yourself it is available, I believe, in Australia or Disney Plus on and on Paramount Plus, which, if you didn't know, is a mountain of entertainment. Mountain of entertainment. <laughs> if that's not their tagline, it should be. It is, I think. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, so there was um, something, my, my village back in England, Long Melford, uh, my dad does a lot of, um, like, he runs this art studio for people there. And um, he's trying to promote it online. And um, on Facebook, he just um, just put like, um, he shared the Long Melford uh, Facebook page and he just wrote the comment, worth a, uh, worth a visit. And I just responded saying, that's, this, that's the saddest tourism tagline. Long Melford, worth a visit. <laughs> uh, I, so something that um, Michelle and I joke about quite often is that if you ever visit Danny Long here in Melbourne, They've got a sign out there. It says Danny Dog City of Culture. And we're always a bit like, if you have to tell people you're a city of culture, you're not a city of culture. <laughs> I mean, the only other option they had on the table at that point was, well, why not? Danny Dog, keep your doors locked. <laughs> uh, fresh news, have we seen the offer? I've not even heard of the offer. I've just looked it up. It is a TV miniseries from this year. Oscar-winning producer Albert S. Ruddy's never-before-revealed experiences of making The Godfather has Miles Teller in it and oh. Matthew Good and Colin Hanks, Giovanni Rabisi. Yeah. That looks good. I want to see that. 
Yeah. Um, if you're seeing it at the moment, Fresh News, tell us where you're watching it because yes, please. I, I don't know where Thank I can you. see that in Australia right now or if it's even been released. Um, so oh, interested to see that. That sounds exciting. Mm. Okay. Now, shall we go on to um, the big release of this week? Mr. Um, Mr. Kenobi? Uh, Mr. Kenobi, yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi back on our screens after, what, nearly 20 years? Yeah, well, it would have been uh, the, the, the Revenge of Assist, right? 2003? Yeah. No, it would be about 2005, six, right? Um, of the... Anyway, um, so we, we have Ewan McGregor back in the role. 2005. And, uh, I find it very strange personally. I'm like, mm. Disney fucked for sequels so badly, mm-hmm. people are now nostalgic for the prequels. Yeah, that's what that's revisionist history, huh? Or maybe it's me being a bit happy, being a little uncharitable. Maybe it's also the fact that the generation who grew up with those films as their Star Wars films are now yeah. of age, and that's true. You know, we that's why we hear so much about them and why people are so excited to see Ewan McGregor back as Obi Wan Kenobi. Personally, and I would just send back as Darth Vader. Come on. Oh, very mysterious fresh news. Very I can't tell you where I'm seeing it, sadly, but I will take your recommendation and keep my <laughs> eye out for it. I believe here we go. Uh, apparently it will be available or is available potentially on Paramount Plus, which if you didn't know is a mountain of entertainment. Paramount Plus, not our sponsor, but they could be. They could All be. they have to do is call us. I would do it for a free subscription, frankly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna pay for it. I'm not gonna pay for it. <laughs> um so you and McGregor, I always thought, was one of the highlights of the previous yeah. series. There were very, 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 very few, but he was one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think we've got two episodes have landed now, yes? Yes. The third one seen? isn't out now, but um, we're, we're here talking to you lovely people instead of watching. Have you seen both that were up before today? I have watched both, yes. I only got the first one done, so try and keep yeah. it a little bit spoilery-free. What are your initial impressions? <laughs> Um, I like the overall presentation of it. Um, I like the, um, the 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 value of the production is good, but I I don't see any damn point to it because it's telegraphing so much like the opening of episode of the first episode I, I feel like i can't just call it episode one because it actually because of you and mcgregor it does tie into episode one so, um but um of kenobi episode one we have a flashback to the genocide of the younglings at the jedi temple on coruscant after order 66 and we see some younglings um, being uh, escorted out by one of the Master Jedi, um, and then the Jedi Master gets um, taken down, and the kids flee. Um, I feel like that's far too much of an obvious, all right, well, these Inquisitors that we're meeting are clearly going to be former younglings, and particularly... um, What's the name of uh, 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 Inquisitor Reva, also known as Third Sister Moses Ingram? She has a particular vendetta, it seems, against Obi Wan Kenobi. And it's like, okay, she's she's one of the youngest, and she blames Obi Wan Kenobi. I'm sure of it. Or maybe there, there's there's some correlation to that first scene, and it's like, okay, 
sure. Don't really care. Um, it just, it, it's far too much member berries and not enough actual interesting original idea. But I don't know why I'm expecting that from Star Wars because that's what they trade on. That's what uh, The Mandalorian does, but they're doing their best to tell interesting stories. That's what uh, Boba Fett did. <laughs> this is fine. If you're a fan of the the prequel trilogy, you're probably going to enjoy this. If you're a fan of the Clone Wars and Rebels, you're probably going to enjoy this. Um Something that happens in episode two has got a lot of Star Wars Rebel fans confused and annoyed. Um, but I will say this. It is not a spoiler because it is essentially canon at this point in all Star Wars universe where a Jedi could be taken down by a single strike. We saw it with Qui-Gon Jinn being stabbed through the stomach. And that was enough to kill him. But... As we have also seen after that fight, Duel of the Fates, great fight sequence. Obi-Wan Kenobi slices um, Darth Maul in two, and yet Darth Maul is still alive. So there's, there's a strange survival rate between those. So anything that happens, if it's a Jedi that gets stabbed once, they're probably dead. If it's anyone else, they're probably going to survive. Uh, I hated it. 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 Mm. I hated it. It was awful. Um, if only one episode in, I will keep going. I have another look at. I mean, I have a look at episode two and three and see if it gets better. Mm. But I mean, init initially, you're right. I found the whole flashback to what well, previously on Star Wars <laughs> um, just a bit. Nah. I mean, if you really need a reminder, then you know, mm. like, but why are you watching it? <laughs> yes, but like. Fair enough, whatever. Uh, I ha honestly hadn't seen most of that footage since it came out because, mm. seriously, who, what sick fiend <laughs> goes back and watches uh, Attack of the Clones or Revenge of the Sith again by choice? <laughs> um, but then we f we've got, wow, another Star Wars series set on Tatooine. Cool. Oh, the, it doesn't stick on Tatooine for the long. I'm sure, but like it's... Like, how many of these series do we, like, I'm so sick of Tatooine. Yeah. Um, it's it's really played out by now. It's cheap to film in Tunisia. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, are they actually filming it there? Or I don't know. Um, I don't know. The original Star Wars, but I don't know if they shot this there. But anyway, I just found it tired and boring. Mm. Like, the whole thing just felt like an extension of... Um, in fresh news, it's nice to be back with the characters we know. And I hear that. Yeah. I really do. I, I remember thinking to myself while watching this, it kind of reminded me, especially about the Jewel of Fate scene that we got the reminder of at the start. Like That was what I liked about The Phantom Menace when it first came out. When mm -hmm. you stop and think about it later, obviously you realise it's, it's pretty empty. But yeah. the, the actual experience of being back with Obi-Wan and back with R2 and 3PO and you know whoever mm -hmm. else, I can't remember who else appears in that, but Jedis and shit, you mm -hmm. know, like that was cool. But I don't know. It just didn't feel the same this time around for me. At least I was just very, very bored. I didn't care about any of the, any of these new characters. Mm. Um, I guess we can't really <coughs> we can't really avoid the um, the uh, elephant in the room today mm. about um, what's happened with Moses Ingram, which I'm sure you've come across in your travels. 
Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't seen anything. I oh, even Ewan McGregor uh, tweeted a bit, put out in the Star Wars official account, put on a, a bunch of tweets about it today. But the Ewan McGregor filmed a little video that apparently Moses Ingram, who plays Sister, uh, third Three, sister. yeah, uh, one of the Inquisitor mob who are trying to track down Obi Wan, and particularly the one who's obsessed with finding him. Mm. Um, uh, she's been copying a shit ton of racist abuse online on Twitter and DMs and stuff like that. It's a this is Kelly Marie Tran, Mark II. Yeah, Kelly Marie Tran from yes, um, the the Last Jedi. Um, mm-hmm. It is sad and fresh. Is still happening because, uh, like, I mean, I watch it and, I just, and a lot of people will be going around saying her character's really annoying and poorly written. Don't know about that because I've only seen the one episode, so I can't. But really make that doesn't just because a character might be boring or badly written or anything like that doesn't give anyone license to slate and abuse someone online that's it absolutely it's disgusting mm. and if you're i don't if you're, if you're one of those people who thinks that's okay to do then yeah i don't know what to say to you but like look I, i'm on the record of seeing not being a fan of the last jedi mm. at all mostly anyway uh and of the things that existed in the last jedi um rosemary trans character i don't forget her character's name rose tico rose tico's character was pathetic pathetically written and just lame like really really lame and i was so glad they didn't bring it back really for the third one but that is not a re- reflection on the actor who played mm-hmm. that character she took on a paying gig yeah and did the best she could with yeah. in my opinion rotten material mm-hmm. um but that's not her fault if it's rotten material you, you're not going to take on a paying someone says hey you're in a star wars movie fuck you i'll be up I'll be the gimp in the Star Wars, you know, universe if you let me be. Like it's yeah. down. Like she took on a paying job. So Moses Ingram took on a paying job in a cool TV show. Mm. If you know, if she's if it's, if her character is badly written and badly done in the series, which I can't really make a judgment call on. That's that the is writer and call. Has yeah, nothing to do with it. Find the writer of the series. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm pretty sure it's not um, John Favreau this time. Um, <laughs> I don't even know. Stuart Beatty, I think, is one of them this time. I think. Um, it's uh, Joby Harold and Hossein uh, Amini, Stuart Betty, who should know better. Pirates of the Caribbean. And look, yeah. those are people. Andrew Stanton wrote three, three episodes as well. Go- Go down, have a, have a word to them. I don't know if they're on Twitter, but, you know, maybe send Stuart Beatty some racist <laughs> messages. I don't know. Like, tell him how much you didn't like the Black Pearl. I don't know. But he's responsible for giving his Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. It's all his fault. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's not her fault that, you know, that, that the character is annoying and badly mm-hmm. written. So I just thought that was a fucking disgrace. Yeah. Star Wars fans can be the absolute worst. As much as I disliked The Last Jedi, I didn't think you should be. I thought it was a terrible idea to be going online and tweeting at um, Ryan Johnson telling him he made a shit film because, mm-hmm. like, I guarantee you, it's a better fucking film than I could have made. Yeah. Uh, it's just stupid. Like, if you don't like it, I'm going to go on my Facebook page. I got people used to get cranky at me because I go on my Facebook page and stick the boots into the Disney prequel sequels. And they got really angry, but I'm like, well, you know, it's my Facebook page and mm-hmm. I can say this film suck if I want. If you don't like it, you can mute me. But the, that's the thing. There's a difference between saying I don't like this movie versus this person raped my childhood and oh. is is a fucking disgrace and I hate them. They're doing blah 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 blah. So I'm like, get the fuck out of here. 
Yeah, um, no, that's the only person responsible who res- deserves that kind of treatment is Paul Feig. And Paul, you know what you did. You know what you did. <laughs> we know what you did. No, we don't. We're it's 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 as if they you know we're we're treating certain things like if they were to make a fourth Indiana Jones movie, you know. It's just a laugh. <laughs> anyway, so I, I found the first episode deeply underwhelming. Mm. It just it just it felt I'm, I feel like um I feel I think you said this a couple maybe a year or two ago about Marvel, mm. and I maybe or was it Star Wars? I can't remember. You felt a little burnt out by it. Yeah, and, and I feel it took me a little while to get there too, but I'm mm. there with you now. Yeah. I am completely burnt out on pretty much Marvel and Star Wars now because it's just overkill, right? I mean, when the book of Boba Fett's got to be six months ago now, or probably less. Yeah. I can't remember exactly, it's but this time just after um, Christmas. So that's not even six months since the last series. I know it's been a while since the movies, and they've kind of put the they've put the hold on the movies. It's about three years now since the last movie. Well, I mean, they had the Star Wars celebrations um, late last week, and they've uh, obviously they've got the Ahsoka TV series that's in production now. Um, that's coming. There's, the Andor one. Uh, yes, there's Andor. I think they've um, actually uh, greenlit uh, two or three other movies that are coming out, and they've got a sequel to um, uh, Jedi Fallen Order that's coming out as well. There's uh, Knights of the Old Republic remake that's happening. It's There's so much Star Wars stuff in the pipeline, and it's like, all right, well, that's a lot of stuff that I'm not really going to be paying much attention to. Mm, just, I mean, they're not making it for me, and that's... Yeah. It's, it's, I think, like, this is not exactly for a young audience. This is not exactly children's television. The way that say, I'm looking at it now. I'm guessing that Miss Marvel will be aimed at a younger audience than anything else so. Marvel's done. So that looks like a kids show to me, which is mm-hmm. perfectly okay. Yep. A little bit like the way Star Wars Rebels was a kids show. I'm guessing because it was mm-hmm. a cartoon and cheaply mm-hmm. made. Um, you know, <laughs> like this isn't straight. You've got to do your homework to watch this. Yeah. Um, but the, I'll tell you without going into spoilers for episode two, Sorry, episode, is that real? Don't forget the Goonies inspired Star Wars show with Jude Law. Is that a thing? Oh my God. Oh yeah. I remember reading something about that. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. I may have just got a gallbladder stone from it, but at the same time, it might just be my bad pizza. Ugh, I don't know. Time in King Lake. No, <laughs> I, I get to say, I've one thing I could do to get me behind a Goonies inspired Star Wars show, and that is hire Kei Huai Kwan. Bring it back, yes. bring him back, man. That just get cool. him involved, just, just get him involved because he's a fantastic bloody guy. Um, um, uh, yeah, so for episode two, without going into spoilers, we get a lot more of Young Leia. And we get much more of third sister. And I would say whoever decided to build her character and her character archetype, they clearly are fans of the Underworld movies. There are fans of the Underworld movies? Well, you know, Siren Divine, shout out to you. Um, She's a big fan. Um, And whilst they are perfectly fine movies on a very base level, um, the so like the physical actions of um uh, the way that they get third sister to 
perform, shall we say, where she's sort of sitting on the edge of a of a building and does somersaults and things like that off of it. It's like that's straight out of Kate Beckinsale's Underworld right there. And unfortunately, we've got another annoying child on a TV show. I've always been this big fan of saying, if you're going to rip someone off, rip off my good, you know? Like, I remember years ago when Wolfmother first started releasing records and I'd be like, oh, it doesn't look Def Leppard. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Zeppelin, sorry. And you go, well, you're going to rip somebody off. Make it the mm. best. Yeah. Right? So, Underworld is not the best, though. So if you're going to rip something off, Underworld... And uh, I think I like even Kate Beckinsale in that cat suit wasn't enough to get me to watch an entire one of those. Um, <laughs> no, I think I got halfway through and said, I think I'm done with this. Thank you very much. But um, right. yeah, here, here's that. some more information about the uh, the Goonies style Star Wars show. Uh, it's called uh, Skeleton Crew. Thanks, Fresh News 24 7 for that. As well as uh, Chris Webb of Spider Man MCU movies is behind it. Okay. Well, he's done quite well there. So maybe they're getting right good talent in and yeah i had a look at the trailer for the new willow show and it looks so generic fantasy i don't care <laughs> i'll you know maybe maybe disney had just hired the worst people for trailers because their trailers are consistently trash but i don't care it looks like a weird variation of um the dark crystal uh, remake that came out a couple of years ago. It's like okay, they they're doing a they're just doing that for Willow. Sure, don't care. You do you, man. Um, well, it's it's interesting. <laughs> uh, I I don't really hold Willow in quite the same regard as I did. There's a lot of other people my age do. I remember thinking it was pretty good, but I don't think it's you know peak eighties like everyone else does now. <laughs> Just as long as I leave Labyrinth alone, I think I can live with it. But um, yeah, if they touch Labyrinth, I'm going to. If, if they touch Labyrinth, we riot. Yeah. Uh, we're kind of away from Obi Wan here, yeah. and that probably tells you enough. We need to honestly, um, yeah, it's no, it's kind of meh. Yeah, <laughs> it's a six six episode miniseries, and each episode is just titled Part One through Six. I am more interested about the finale because they are written by Andrew Stanton, who is the genius behind Wally -E and a multitude of other fantastically written pieces. Um, so I'm hoping things get interesting there. Um, we, at the end of um, episode two, we get the reveal that Obi-Wan Kenobi did not know that Darth Vader lives. And it has it is now very well publicized that Darth Vader is going to be in this show. Hayden Christensen's there, and apparently he's terrifying. Um, Hayden but, Christensen is not capable of terrifying. I'm sorry, <laughs> but you know, he's using the historical revisionism going on now. He was a terrible actor. He was a mm -hmm. terrible choice for a series of terrible films. His only relatively good role that I have seen him in was in Shattered Glass. Shattered Glass is a good film. He was I've never seen him in anything else. Yes, Flea Fresh News. Fresh News 24-7. What the fuck is Flea doing in Star Wars? Uh, it was a strange choice. I'm like, oh, that's Flea. <laughs> what? what? It's so weird. It's, it's, it's as weird as having Bill Burr in The Mandalorian. 
maybe they know someone. Um, if he was like Darth Needles or something, if he played, if he was playing Needles again from Back to the Future, I would have been all about that somehow. Um, but I don't know how they make that connection. And the Back to the Future Star Wars crossover, we've all been waiting for. No, um, do not put that shit out there, Travis. Do they will do it? They don't own it yet. We wait till Bob Gale dies, and still Bob, till Bob Gale dies, we're safe. True, true. Uh, I, I was just yeah, deeply, deeply underwhelmed. Uh, you know, if you're loving it, good for you. Uh, yeah. You're right, I did too. It's like instantly, like that's fucking that's flea. Yeah, it's, it's instantly recognizable, and it's like not in a good way. Yeah. I mean, it, yes, considering the kind of character that he's portraying, good choice. He looks like that kind of kind of vile person, but it's Flea. <laughs> it would be like going, oh, yeah, you know what? We're going to cast The Undertaker as our romantic lead. It's like, mm, it's just not going to work. <sighs> <laughs> he does have some film experience. He was one of the goons in uh, Suburban Commander. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Everyone uh, should do themselves a treat and do the interactive short scary movie on Netflix of the New Day visiting the Undertaker's house. Someone say we did. Um, did. Anyway, that's that's probably it's a bit of a a meh, a bit of a middle of a road, maybe not such a great rating for it from us. Yeah. But I think we are family <laughs> in the old curmudgeon mm-hmm. camp now when mm-hmm. it comes to Star Wars. Star Wars is, is like Marvel. You'll need to do your homework soon. Yeah. You already need to do your homework. When I watched Book of Boba Fett, everyone's like, oh, my God, what's his face from Rebels? And you're like, mm-hmm. I don't know. He looks cool, but he, I don't know. Why is Rango this, in this movie? This is the, the interesting thing about the, the new shows. The ones that are doing successful is Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, and this. And these are all kind of offshoot stories, apparently, from Dave Filoni, who he was the one who did clone wars and uh rebels and uh bad batch and it's like okay everything's tying back into those more than it is tying into the main the main skywalker saga which totally fine with um but at the same time it just means that it is it's got a much higher barrier of entry because you've got to watch five seat four or five seasons of clone wars multiple seasons of rebels and the bad batch and the animation is abrasive in those so it's not it's not pretty show maybe maybe it's really well written i don't know i just it's just so fucking annoying to look at that's why we're a better podcast than we are (laughs) we have a said that we always said i had a face for radio what can i say it's true in radio we strive and thrive do we? Uh, I think it might be time at time of a week for our. <laughs> okay, fresh news twenty four seven just said uh, actually in the solo movie Han Solo mentioned he had a friend called Needles back home, so could happen. <laughs> As a comic I... reader, Marvel doesn't have a problem. <laughs> Quote a great man. I'm not crazy. I'm just ahead of a curve. <laughs> Don't put that shit out there. They've got Robert Zemeckis in their back pocket at Disney. He keeps on making fucking movies for Needles does have an entry in the Star Wars Wikipedia. (laughs) Needles was a male individual, was a friend of Han Solo. 
according to Solo Needles, is the best street racer in Corellia. Oh, yeah. no, it fits too well. It's, it fits. It's a thing now. Oh. There you go. It's canon. Yes, no. Oh, that's that's unhealthy. Uh, quick, go to commercial. Go to commercial. Okay. going to cut live. This week we are going to visit some friend, our friends in, uh, in Japan again this week for some educational material. Oh, is this about how to successfully open a door? No, I think we've covered that fairly substantially the other week, especially if you speak Icelandic. Um, <laughs> Or whatever it was. This week we're going to learn some dating tips for other men out there. Very important dating tips, ladies and gentlemen. There we go. We now know. I mean, the real question that arises from that is: Are you serious about anyone? 
I, I love just how it so strangely just kind of like, oh, it's coming to the end of the ladies part. Let's zoom in on the chest area and cut to the cut to the guys in the office. Um, here's the crazy thing, right? Mm. There are a whole bunch of those. And if you, you'll indulge me, I'm going to show you another one just quickly. Let me show you a couple of minutes oh, of this God. one very quickly. Okay, okay. Shut up! Don't say a word. There's the armpit. It's the sexiest part of the body. <laughs> you missed the next bit too, and the next bit you never to is spare me my life. Spare me my life. Um, and you're like, oh, that's an interesting way to learn English. Oh, I can say that. <laughs> so, so bad. That's wow. I should apologise to our, to our audio version of the show listeners. We're missing out on the glorious... Um, Head on over to twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain or youtube.com slash producers and check out the sponsors for this week, which is... Zuka English. So if you're curious on the audio podcast and you'd like to see what you were just talking about, Zukin English will get you that. So Z-U-I-I-K-I-N, English. We'll bring up a whole bunch of those videos, and they are awesome. <laughs> sure. Sure they are. <laughs> uh, before we move on for sure, I wanted to introduce, give you a heads up. But I haven't talked to George about this, but I assume you'd be okay with that, about this. We have a new segment coming up next week, which um, which uh, will run for probably uh, on and off for around about 13 shows or thereabouts. Uh, and I'm going to call it the Trek Respective. Oh, so um, for the uninitiated, which is everyone except George, yeah. um, <laughs> I made a bet with my partner at this in December last year about lockdowns. Melbourne, mm-hmm. as you, those of you who are long time listeners, is we were locked down for a long time the last couple of years. We were one of, if not the most locked down cities in the world. Yeah, that's just how we how we roll. Um, and we made a bet in December about whether or not there would be more lockdowns over the coming six months. She mm. bet that there would be more lockdowns. I said there would not be more lockdowns. We Do are we now the 1st of June, and there have been no lockdowns in Melbourne subsequent to that bet. Oh, if okay. I lost that bet, I was going to have to watch every episode of all seasons, which it might be seven seasons of Community, I can't remember. Every episode of Community ever made. My, however, because I didn't lose a bet, I'm not doing that. Though I don't mind Community; it probably would have been all right. Um, but uh, she lost a bet, so she is now going to have to watch every single one of the Star Trek movies today. Made today. No families. That's, that's impressive. Believe it or not, I there's a less less hours invested in those Trek films than there are in Community episodes. There's yeah, a lot more there's 110 episodes. episodes of Community for clarification. Yeah. 
So half an hour episode. So anyway, uh, it works out a little better uh, for, yeah. for, in terms of a, an overall time investment. She yeah. might argue in terms of a quality investment, she's coming off second best. And considering <laughs> the quality of some of her Trek films, she might be right. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so what we're going to do uh, as, as well, so we'll have a new segment beginning next week. We'll be doing a pre-recorded segment of her thoughts, maybe five minutes or so, and yeah, on what she thinks of the track films as we move through the uh, through the uh, thirteen uh, uh, studio uh, films that have been made to date in the Trek universe, and she can for the first time she's ever seen. It might be some of the first Trek she's ever seen. So um, it will be okay. a, an interesting, okay. if not particularly uh, upbeat, um, <laughs> celebration of all things Trek. I, I just love it if it's just like, okay, so I had to watch the first Star Trek movie. And then she just sits there in silence, just glowering at you. <laughs> Thank you for any ideas. <laughs> She'll need no, no encouragement to be negative. I mean, like, I mean, at least the first... The whole the the the, the original series films, mm. I don't know if they make sense if you haven't watched any of the actual TV show. Well, I think you could probably overall under, understand and jump into Wrath of Khan. But the first one, yeah, I mean that the Wrath of Khan's two, oh. so we're stuffed. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, but for the first one, yeah, no, she's stuffed. <laughs> um, but um so that's coming and that's something to look forward to you're going to get a complete outsider's perspective there on, we go on, on okay. Star Trek coming next week okay okay well following off of that i want to just quickly talk about um something else that came out on disney plus i know that you haven't watched it because this is definitely not your kind of movie but it is a movie that has absolutely no Right. No damn right being as good as it is. And that is Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Now, don't be so sure. I did pause at this last night and thought, oh, I'll give that a look at some point. Okay. I heard it's very good. It is really good. It is it's it's just so bizarrely funny and considered and it's it uses ugly Sonic. From the from the first trailer, from the first Sonic the Hedgehog movie, where he had the human teeth, and they make a joke about it, and they keep answering like every every time someone talks to him, it just kind of slowly, just they zoom in on those human teeth in the blue hedgehog's mouth, and there's everyone just quivers. But um, 30 years after their popular television show ended, Chipmunks Chip and Dale live very different lives. When a cast member from the original series mysteriously disappears, the pair must reunite to save their friend. And that is a very typical Chippendale episode story. But this does so well at bringing elements of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, um, elements of genuine parody, like, top quality parody movies that we don't get anymore i'm talking like um the first naked gun movie um airplane flying high for those like a brother films yes um and there's just in jokes and it doesn't just use like oh th- this is the movie that wreck it ralph should have been or wreck it ralph 2 where it's like oh look at all these other video games characters this is so wonderful um 
they they make self-referential jokes to the fact that um one of the uh the henchmen for um <clears throat> sweet pete who is an old dad bod P uh, peter pan that as he basically he regaled he's become this purveyor of bootleg versions of disney movies because he had the macaulay culkin problem as he grew up and start, started growing a beard and spots and things. No one wanted to cast him in anything. So he ended up turned to this life of crime. And it's just great. And they have um, Seth Rogen does the voice of one of, the, um, one of his henchmen, uh, Bob the Warrior. And it's literally from that period in the early 2000s where their eyes never quite look at anything. And you don't know if they're looking at you or not. And they make reference to it. Chip and Dale are at the door. And it's like, oh, can you look at us when you talk? It's like, I am. It's like, no, no it, you're, you're looking above us. It's like, from my perspective, I'm looking directly into your eyes. And there's a bit where he, his character falls down. And then suddenly they're, they're at this Comic-Con. And all the other characters that Seth Rogen has ever lent his voice to will just look over him and just start laughing. And it's his stereotypical laugh. It's it's stupidly good. It's really, really funny. The critical review has been mixed. 66 Metacritic score. Mm. Some people didn't like it. Yeah. The 7.1 on IMDb. So it's a pretty mm -hmm. decent score from your audience. Yeah. For, yeah, for a fairly long forgotten yeah. franchise. Never forget Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers. Never really was a big fan. Um, but I think they're supposed to be like Magnum PI and Indiana Jones. That's what the character outfits. Exactly. Yes. Um, they they're dressed up as Magnum PI and Indiana Jones, and it's it's just so. It, it, in the shows, it was very by the numbers, but with just that that little hint of almost Looney Tunes esque, um, sort of like absurdist comedy. Um, never went too far into the Looney Tunes kind of thing, but. Like there, we see some flashbacks to some of the episodes, and there's one where they're being chased by the big cat villain, and so they uh, Chip hits Dale over the head to create um, those cartoon birds that are flying around his head, and the cat gets distracted by the birds, and they can escape, and then they call back to it later on, and they try and do it, and they hit. Um, they've come to a realization, and Dale hits Chip for the first time in their 30 years of knowing each other. And then it suddenly cuts to a phone on the bedside table that just starts buzzing. And then it cuts out and it's just the, one of the birds is just like, oh no, honey, someone's calling for me. It's just such a stupid moment, but it works. Kind of it's, sounds like the um, the gag from um, Austin Powers from all years ago, but yes, my, yes, my husband's a henchman in Dr. Evil's army, you know. Yeah, it's it's that kind of comedy, but it just works really well. The one downside to it um, is the voice of John Mulaney. He plays the voice of Chip, and I don't really know any of his work beyond him being Spider-Ham and being one of the um, Andrew Glauberman from Big Mouth on Netflix. And he's got a very identifiable voice. Um, and so it's hard to see the straight man to Dale's 
comedy be voiced by someone whose voice I have in the last five years just been associated to a young teenager who jacks off way too much. So it's kind of weird. Um, Andy Samberg plays, uh, does the voice of Dale and Dale has, um, they break up the, the, the show Chip and Dale broke up because Dale wanted to branch out and start doing his own things. And he was going to do a TV show called double O Dale, which is a parody of James Bond. And then we cut to modern times and Dale has had CGI enhancements. And so now he's just this CGI chipmunk. But it's, it's just, it, it should not be as funny as it is. And it was legitimately laugh out loud funny. I was, well, this took me, took me right out of, out it's of. It's always the, nice when that happens, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Nice to be surprised. It doesn't happen much anymore. Yeah. And uh, Will Arnett is always, he's got, you might not necessarily recognize the name or the voice, but Will Arnett has got that voice. Everyone knows. He's, he's, he's Lego Batman. Yeah, exactly. And he was in, so, of course, um, Arrested Development, you know. Yeah. So he is, and he just excels as Sweet Pete. He is you got a great cast. You've got Will Arnett, Eric Banner, Keegan-Michael Key, Dennis Haysbert, oh. J.K. Simmons, yeah. Keeva Schaefer. Mm-hmm. um it's it's a pretty solid cast yeah it's it's really good and it especially after i think two or three weeks ago i watched space jam 2 and i was or i've always been a fan of space jam space jam 2 is a pale imitation i and... never saw the first one so I, again it's one of those films that it surprised me in the last few years about how popular it is when mm-hmm. i guess the younger generation yours and maybe a bit younger who grew up with that as one of their films so mm. it became old and they sort of reminiscent it's become nostalgic mm. for them and i'm like but i heard the sequel was god awful like one of the worst films of a year yeah honestly i mean michael jordan in the first one is he's not an actor but they also paired him up a lot of the time either with the looney tunes or bill fucking murray they're like yep yeah. That's that's fine. You got someone there to do the heavy lifting. Whereas this, they've got LeBron James and the Looney Tunes, and it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It comes off bad. So I was I'm glad that Chippendale came out and had the mix blend, not only of the two D animation and real uh, real actors but the 3D animation and it just being a part of life. It was not this like separation of church and state that we saw in um, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, this is just, tunes are ingratiated into society. They are just part and parcel of it. And it was great. It was like, yep, that's all you need to know. Move, move on. It's a glowing endorsement there. And it's on Disney Plus now. Yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. Absolutely loved it. It's been a Disney Plus kind of week for me because I, I um, after watching an hour of very boring uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, <laughs> was very nicely surprised to find that I was able to watch the new uh, uh, Danny Boyle series, miniseries, Pistols, on uh, Disney Plus. Okay. And, of course, the pistols in question are the Sex Pistols, the... Yeah. Um, iconic 70s punk rock 
pioneers, um, provocateurs, mm. whatever you choose to call them. Um, if you're not old enough to remember the Sex Pistols, then you've got a trick coming. Um, yeah. Jump onto YouTube and then educate yourself. I would start with <laughs> The Filth and the Fury, the Julian Temple documentary from 2000. Mm-hmm. Probably a better place to start than this. Um, so Pistol is based on the memoir of Steve Jones, the legendary Sex Pistols guitarist who helped usher in a punk revolution in mm-hmm. Britain. Um, and it is, as I said, um, created by Craig Pierce amongst other people, Danny Boyle is involved as well. Mm-hmm. Um, probably Craig Pierce, if you don't know who that is, he's a frequent collaborator of Baz Luhrmann. So he wrote things like Moulin Rouge, Strictly Ballroom with Great Gatsby. He wrote Jer- Romeo and Juliet, which is a nifty little trick, considering mm-hmm. um, I thought someone else wrote that, but, you know, uh, I don't... Uh, oh, oh, and uh, there was, there was uh, apparently Bill Shakespeare... Esquire, he he was, you know, uh, plagiary, something like that. I don't know. I'm sure the I'm sure the Writers Guild had something to do with that, right? Yeah, like, yeah. He, 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 you know, based on an idea by, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Danny Boyle directed mm. uh, some of his episodes, if not all of them. Episode one and two, I think he did. Um, okay. So here's the thing: I really enjoyed the first two episodes of his show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really a little bit like you just said. You thought Chip and Dale wasn't in my wheelhouse. I think you're wrong on that one. I'm going to have a look at that at some point. I get time. Okay. But um, this is in my wheelhouse, 100. percent mm. So I'm a. I, I like punk music. I enjoy the era. I enjoy the Sex Pistols music. I've read books about them. <laughs> uh, that Jet Julian Temple documentary I mentioned a few a few moments ago is a fantastic documentary that I really really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and just movies about rock and roll and you know popular mm-hmm. music and popular mm-hmm. culture. These are all things I enjoy. So it's very much in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. But keep that in mind with my recommendation that say, based on the first two episodes, it's worth a look. Is it um, only the first two episodes so far? Uh, I think there are more. I don't know. I think they might have all landed. I'm not sure. Okay. Though, but it certainly was offering to let me watch episode three last night when I had to go to bed. Uh... Um yeah, it's like all six episodes are available. Worth noting, however, there mm. are it is not perfect, and there are some drawbacks and things you should probably be aware of depending on where you stand on such things. Okay. First of all, I mean, those who are unfamiliar with Sex Pistols, the Sex Pistols were know, a punk rock band, and they sort of stood you know, anarchy in the UK, and they mm. were they were created by Malcolm McLaren. Mm. Um as a money-making exercise, some might say, depending on where you stand on McLaren, mm. or also just to be sort of provocateurs against what he saw as a staid and stale uh, mm. cultural, you know, milieu in the in the UK in the late seventies. Um, so uh, you might argue it's still a stale uh, cultural milieu in the UK in twenty twenties. I absolutely do not believe that England has gone festy on the inside at all. I, mean? I read something the other day that Boris Johnson's looking to reintroduce the imperial measuring system in the UK. And I'm like, people, because oh, apparently these the Brexit people are losing, he's losing support for Brexit people. And so he thinks that's, I'm like, what? What the fuck? Um, so that's by the by. Um, so they were all about rebellion and anarchy and shit stirring and causing trouble. Mm. Um, and, Hence, they kind of burned bright but and you know, fast. 
Uh, mm. They were over after about three years. They never released the one studio album, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. So, you know, the ethos of, you know, punk and rebellion and, you know, individuality and you're standing for something and, you know, bringing down the, the against the man, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's on Disney. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a bit of a odd film. One of these things is not like the other. Um, <laughs> and it's been directed by Danny Boyle, who is no doubt an extraordinarily rich man now. Um, mm. Was he knighted or something? I don't know. Um, he's not, he's not been credited as sir, so probably not. Um, <laughs> but he's an Academy Award winner and, you know, very much part of the establishment now. Yes. Yes, he was knighted? No. Oh, no, I'm just looking into it right now. <laughs> I was confused there for a moment. Yeah. So one has to ask, you know, uh, is that exactly who should be making a film about uh, the Sex Pistols? And I also think it probably would have found it terribly ironic, considering where they started and where they came from, that they would be the subject of a very expensive, highly prestigious TV series like this. But yeah, that's um, the nature of, I guess, fame, uh, and you know, the fact that they are—they were important. They were important musically. The other thing to keep in mind here is that John Johnny Rotten, John Lydon, the lead singer. Mm-hmm. absolutely did not approve of this series being made. Mm. Absolutely did not approve of it. Um, he called the series disrespectful. He didn't give his consent for the project. He didn't give consent for the band's music to be played. Um, and he, I believe, ended up... The, the, there's actually a lawsuit about this. Uh, and I don't exactly know who started it, but basically it was a lawsuit over whether or not the rest of the band, the rest of it being, you know, Glenn Matlock and and uh, and Steve Jones, uh, were allowed to use. Who did support this project? Were they allowed to use the band's songs mm. uh, based on their so? Because John said no. Yeah. Uh, John lost. <laughs> um, so uh, not a fan. I think he called it a middle class fairy tale. Um, which okay. yeah, okay, maybe. Uh, <laughs> The other thing that's maybe a little strange about it is, uh, if anyone who knows a little bit about the band like me, mm. um, and I don't, I, and I learn things from watching a show. And by no means am I an expert. I'm not saying I am, but it is very centric on Steve Jones. Okay. So Steve Jones, a guitarist, and you know, uh, one of the original members of a band before John Johnny Rotten joined. Um, it's a strange. It's very at least the first two episodes focus very very heavily on him. Mm. And he is our entry point into the story. Okay. Which I found unusual until I read that it was based on his biography. So you know, <laughs> that's kind of why they've done it, I guess, you know. Yeah. Uh, it it sounds like the kind of thing where it's like, oh, we, we really want to do a David Bowie biography, but they won't give us rights to that him. So who's near to him that is willing to sell us their life story? Because there is a David Bowie film coming out. There is? Uh, yes, it's called Midnight's Daydream. Uh, oh, that's a documentary more, one. More of a documentary than the film. Yeah. But I think there was an unofficial Bowie movie made a couple of years ago. Um, I can't remember what it was called. Or you could go back to Velvet Underground, Velvet Goldmine, sorry, about 20 years ago, did something similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's it. Steve's an interesting guy. I'm not sure he's, if you were logically, if you had all the band behind you, Mm. Would he be where you'd start this story? No, he would. I don't know if he would. Yeah. 
Um, uh, I think it's kind of a strange entry point of a story, frankly. I don't know it's the most interesting entry point to the story, but it is an entry point. The cast is solid. Um, not many names in here you would know. Mm. Toby Wallace plays Steve Jones. Don't know him. Anson Boone is pretty good as John Lydon. Really seriously impressed with Sydney Chandler as Chrissy Hind. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who are I'm too young to remember Chrissy Hind was the lead singer of The Pretenders. Um, oh. uh, Maisie Williams is probably the, the standout star in here. If I'm not mistaken, she was on Game of Thrones, right? Yes, she was. Yes. That's where I knew the name from. And yeah. aside from being probably the most famous person in the show, she might actually also be the standout uh, as well. She plays a character <laughs> called Jordan. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, one of the more impressive scenes in the first two episodes is just her commuting to work, which is what she did. She's mm-hmm. lived like she lived like two hours away. Is there a Seaford in England somewhere? Yes. I think that's where she lived. It was like a two-hour commute to, to London. And mm-hmm. she would commute, and she was very much an Asian provocateur kind of character as well, uh, uh, and credited as being the creator of the London punk look. But she commuted to work in seafood PVC Damn. on a train um, and had to be moved to um, uh, first class to avoid getting her shit kicked, her head kicked in by the people in the you know, economy class who weren't real happy with her way <laughs> being her self-exposure if you shall say her being mm. provocateur um and you know this is maybe where i think one of the strengths of a show is i found myself sitting with my phone the whole time googling mm. who these people were mm. um i am i was not familiar with with jordan's character and she just passed away actually earlier in the year the real jordan um and seems like a real unsung hero for one of her term or really mm. incredibly influential character individual who's who's fashion and sense and look has mm. outlived her and spread yeah. so far and wide around the world. Um, and that's what I find fascinating about these little stories is this five guy or four or five guys in, in the UK in 1977, mm. you know, put out, couldn't play, yeah. um, put out some pretty crappy records if you, know, if you consider playing important, um, mm. but with incredible energy um, mm. and power behind them. And that look that she created became global um yeah. so uh that and the fact that you sort of stop and look and um you hear some of the names and it, it's it's doing this deliberately but there's a, there's a section where chrissy hine is critical of um malcolm mclaren for being sexist and not putting her and not utilizing her in a band despite the fact she can actually play mm-hmm. um and he goes oh i've got this phone number i want you to call it's this guy named mick jones he's an interesting guitar player you'd like to meet you uh, mm. And you've got the look in your face. You don't know who Mick Jones is. Mick Jones was the guitar player in The Clash. Um, oh, okay. There you go. You've heard of The Clash? Yes, I have. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> um, so it actually is an insane amount of talent that was kicking mm. around London at that mm. point in time. It also coalesced around the Sex Pistols. Mm. Um, now, I've got to ask, when you're talking about the Sex Pistols, obviously for you and I being huge Gary Oldman fans, how is uh, Lewis Partridge playing Sid Vicious in this? He hasn't had a lot to do in the first two episodes. Okay. Really only being introduced to him. And we introduced, we had the scene with him and John about mm-hmm. how he got his name. Uh, his yeah. real name was John. Mm-hmm. Um, but how he got the name Sid. And he was named after John Lydon's hamster. Um, <laughs> sort of 
true story apparently um <laughs> so we will see we'll see what kind of i mean he's his role in the band becomes more important as it goes down as it gets it goes longer towards the end of their yeah. run which is, i assume yeah. the limited series will end around the end of their existence uh at least until probably around his death i would imagine so he'll become increasingly important but to this point in time it's really hard to judge he doesn't look much like him yeah okay but then he hasn't fully become Sid Vicious yet. Mm. He's really just still just that kid hanging around uh, Vivian Westwood's um, sex shop. It's not, it's not a sex shop. It was called Sex. Um, it was a boutique in London. Um, and he hasn't quite become the Sid Vicious. We know who will. So CML, we will find out more about that a little okay. later on. Okay. Difficult shoes to follow in, though. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, in, I'm digging it. Uh, as I said, there's a lot of... Little caveats there, like I said, mm. it's it's very Steve Jones heavy. John Rotten says it's not particularly accurate to what happened in reality, but yeah, mm. it's such a such a long time ago and so famous. It's the stuff of legend now. You probably yeah. never find out the truth. Probably, as I say, somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you? Think- if you're a fan, if you're a fan of that kind of thing, I, I reckon we're we're for look. We're for look. So obviously you you said that it kind of sparked piqued your interest with name drops and things like that and we're learning a little bit more about it. Do you think that um do you think that it's so far the better option because this is this is a limited series rather than the typical biography thing of a presentation Hollywood feature kind of thing. Do you think this is potentially going to serve from this early tasting do you think it's going to um, be a better better representation for a biography it'll be interesting to see if we've got a little bit more time to play with mm. uh, i'll be interested to see <laughs> so once we get to the end mm. um how well that six mm. the episodes are i'm guessing from memory around about 50 minutes to an hour mm. um i wasn't really paying attention um but about that so we got around about five to six hours of content to tell mm. their story yeah have they got five to six hours of story that's going to be interesting mm. or is it going to be filler because uh, it's interesting that this is done by danny boyle when um, we've praised him for how he dealt with just the steve jobs biography of just focusing on three nights rather than the life of um said character which is so typical um we did ray a couple of weeks ago and that was the first half of his life and it's like okay you're you're missing a lot of things they try and focus on just a, just a smaller thing and um well, Danny first Boyle, of all, that it, was written by Aaron Sorkin not Danny so um you know but it was directed by Danny as well uh, true that uh, yeah. one of the great writers in Hollywood when he's on form yes. um and this is actually three years I think of their story really three or four okay. years so yeah. You know, this is not their whole lives. We didn't like this. Mm. Steve as a kid. We have flashbacks to learn a little bit more about where they came from, which is useful, particularly yeah. around Steve, obviously because mm. it's based on his book. Um, but we don't get the, the entire backstory of how they got to here. We're getting three or four years of their life while they were Sex Pistols, I imagine. Okay. I don't imagine there's any real point to going on after Sid's died because that's kind of the end of the band. Mm. And, you know, that's not a lot really of interest to come after that. So, yeah. Will there be five or six hours is the real question. I mean, if you're going to do a movie, for example, if you were looking to do a movie like David Bowie, for example, which is I'm sure someone's trying. Yeah. Uh, it's just a case of getting the family to sign off, I suppose. And yeah. 
um, finding an actor crazy enough to play David Bowie. Um, you know, maybe it would be better to be like that. Remember that Bob Dylan film where they got a whole bunch of people yeah. playing? Maybe that would be better. But c- could you tell the, the David Bowie story? Yes, I'm a huge fan, but mm. one of the most iconic men in, in, in you know, uh, cultural history. Mm-hmm. Could you tell that story in, in two hours, two and a half hours? Or Hell would you be better off trying to aim for five or six? Mm. I'm seeing the Elvis movie in about three weeks. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, the Tom Hanks one. It'd be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, mm-hmm. what are we, how are we going to tell the Elvis story? That's a mm-hmm. huge story. Yeah. Um, can you do that in two, two and a half hours? Yeah. It's going to be It's an interesting time. I was also going to, you may remind me, actually, one of the reasons also I'm less worried about Johnny Rotten saying he doesn't like this and he doesn't agree with it mm. is that's why we didn't like the Queen movie very much is because Queen, oh, no, we don't want to make this film that makes us look bad. We want to honor the memory of our friend and, you know, make mm. this really sappy, um, you know, uh, saccharine sweet, you know, music video to him, really. And I would have marvelous seen the, the Watson Old version. Mm. I mean, again, there is a slight difference there of the Sex Pistols are not touring. The band of Queen still very much are. <laughs> so true, you, true. I don't well, think they've been. They did tour for a while there, but yeah, no, they haven't been played for a while. But I think yeah. uh, I'm less sympathetic to mm. the guys behind Queen because I suspect they made a lot more money out of their, their music than the Sex Pistols ever mm. did. Mm. But either way, it's, I'm liking yeah. it. It's pretty good. Um, okay. Not not about if you like that kind of thing, I'd reckon give it a shot. And if you find the first episode annoying, keep moving. Okay. Now um, we're going to finish uh, finish the show after the after this next one because um, we've both been playing a new video game. So I just want to give my thoughts on Stranger Things four, if you don't mind. Sure. What do you think of it so far? Um, I'm really enjoying it. Um. It's genuinely good quality, and they're maturing the show. It is quintessentially much more horror than any of the previous shows. It is um, more, there is more at stake, which makes sense given everything. But the, the sad element of it is the reason why this season has been split into two parts and each episode is very long and the last two parts which have been releasing in july are are legitimately feature length they're like an hour and a half two and a half hours something something ridiculously long for the last two episodes of the season and the reason why is because of audience backlash from season two um there's one episode um I can't remember exactly which one it is. I think it's episode seven. And it's the episode where they went into, they followed the character of Eleven as she went off and kind of learnt a little bit more about her and met her sister, Eight. And it was like Eleven's punk rock turn. And uh, then later on, she comes back to the show to save, save the day. Um, and that episode was lambasted by audiences. Really, people really didn't like it. So I'm like, I'll oh, bring it back to Hawkins, blah, 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 blah. And they did. There was a, a quite quite a sense of a mere culpa in season three. You're right, they... by the way. So episode Lost Sister. That's it. Um, the episodes that season, uh, 8.2, 8.3, this is INDB ratings, 8.5, mm-hmm. 8.6, 8.8, 9.1, 6.1, 9.2, 9.3. 
Yeah. And um, I understood when when that episode came out, I completely understood why, because they were building the they were doing world building, but the audience didn't want it. Um, they had a taste of something great in season one. And then the, um, the build up through most of season two was really solid as well. And then suddenly it's just this felt like a massive alienated departure. But as a writer, as a creator, understood the reason for it. Um, and watching season four now, they are having to re-inject a lot of stuff to fill that gap which they probably would have wanted to actually put into season three if they hadn't been hadn't had such whiplash response for that episode and while they are handling it very very well they are they are balancing four main storylines um and they're doing it well overall it feels very dense and thick and it's a good job they're doing such a such a good job with it because otherwise it would instantly feel bloated and slow and muddled so they the the duffer brothers are doing a really good job with it overall i'm very impressed with it the performances are great across the board um but yeah it's this is why it's this is why i have very difficult great difficulty i had an argument with a customer just the other day <clears throat> about um we were talking about obi-wan and how it's like oh they've clearly not got any plan for star wars and they're doing this and they're doing that and they're not servicing the fans i was like well no they they are over serving the fans but they're forgetting to tell their their own creative vision and that straddling line fans are the reason why we got a more classically accurate representation of sonic the hedgehog and people came out to that movie and they've come out to sonic 2 they've got it right that doesn't mean that they're going to get it right all the time and especially for new properties or still relatively young franchise properties you don't have fans straight away you build those by following your creative vision and so the duffer brothers they created stranger things and season one was massive hit everyone loved it it was a, a media darling <clears throat> And so they then went, okay, we want Netflix went, yes, we want more of this. And so we got that one little one episode of teaser for the, the broader world and the broader backstory of the program that birthed Eleven. And then everyone just suddenly went, whoa, what the fuck is that? No, fuck you. This is ridiculous. You've ruined Stranger Things. And then the last two episodes came out and people loved it. And people generally, if they rewatch it, they just skip episode seven of season two now. But it's kind of come back to bite them a little bit in the ass in season four because they should have done more of this story building earlier. And while they still overall did a very good job on season three and they are still doing a very good job on season four, I would have loved to see what season three would have actually looked like before they were told, oh, no, we, let's let's redo it. And they took 
they took a year off to go back and do more writing on season four because they very clearly said, this is how we're ending it. They've known for a long time how they wanted to end it. We need to get to this spot. So either we put it into season three. Nope, you didn't want us to do that. Okay, we're going to have a long season four. And I'm pleased to report that they have done a very good job. It's just the the creative side of me just looks at it and goes, oh, I can see why they're doing that. And that is not the creative choice of choice. <laughs> that is creative choice of, I need to get here. This is where I want everyone to end. So I have to tell this information somewhere. Let's work it into this fucking thing. Does that make sense? It does. I just find it really strange that people reject so bad. Like, it's it's is it a thing today? Like, I go we go back to the X Files, which I think in the late nineties was the peak of television. You know, episodic mm-hmm. television. You know, over it was one of the few ones that had that overarching arc. Yeah, you know, it wasn't every week, but you know, everything was sort of leading towards. But overall, and there were plenty of lousy episodes of the X Files. Not everyone was a was a winner. But like, people lose their shit because there's one episode. It doesn't quite meet expectations. Jesus yeah. Christ, guys. Yeah. It happens. The, the, what's, what's even more kind of insane about that is the fact that Stranger Things always dumps a full season with this, this one excluded for the last two. So it's not as if you had to wait a week and fester on, on last week's episode because, oh, fuck, that was so shit. It may have been better received if there was that gap, but... It's like, okay, I had a 50, a 45, 50 minute episode that wasn't what I was expecting, but I suddenly, the next, I, you know, next episode button click, ah, oh, I'm back to what I wanted. It, it, it beggars belief that they, that they would hold on to such a grudge for one episode. Like um, if, you, if you got a whole season, if you got like the, what was it, see, the last season of Game of Friends that everybody hated, you know, like yeah. if you get a whole season worth of letdowns, and yeah, sure, then <laughs> yeah. you've got a complaint, but in one episode, yeah yeah so just yeah i i really like it i think that they're doing fantastic i think they're doing a really good job of growing and maturing the show with the actors and the storytelling um is very very smart it's just on a creative level it's a shame that they're having to do so much juggling to get where they want to go because of one Rep- misrepresented error, you know. But that's all I wanted to say on that. <laughs> Can we quickly have a quicker dip our toe into uh, Sniper? Yes, please. Yes, absolutely. Elite. Sniper Elite right. Five. I got to spend a couple of hours of this. Little, probably more than a couple of hours of yesterday and today. Mm. Um, it's available on Game Pass mm-hmm. for me, so it didn't cost me anything. So other than my Game Pass subscription, which mm-hmm. I haven't used recently. Um, <laughs> And uh, are you a newbie to this? No, I've loved all the Sniper Elite games. I've never played a Sniper Elite game, but I've oh, played yeah. the Nazi Zombie Army uh, yes, game, right. which is basically a, a mod, I think, for this, really. But they sell them for full-price games because, of course, they do. Um, cool. It's basically just paying full price for the Call of Duty Zombies section. But, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but the upside to that is I have only bought those games because friends of mine Mm. um uh play when i get to play with them occasionally um so 
uh, I'm not a complete noob, so I've I've played pretty much. I know the mechanics basically mm. uh, of the game, um, and it's not complete uh, complete mystery to me how it's played. So, um, not familiar with the other games. Mm. Obi Wan hate doesn't make sense. Uh, sorry, <laughs> well, I was adding to it um, <laughs> earlier on. You missed out, but it's just probably a good thing. George liked it though. Yeah, um, better than me. Um, I'm enjoying it. The first impression doesn't look this generation. It looks old. Especially the cutscenes look really kind of Xbox 360 level graphics. Yeah. It's the eyes of the characters as well. They, they're the cold, dead eyes of killers. The writing is pretty stock, pretty mm. average, which is fine. But a good writing can elevate a game like this. Mm. We go back to the, the, new, the first of the new Wolfenstein games. Oh, yeah. That really that was great writing by Bethesda. And that really elevated that. Maybe both of the new ones until Youngblood. Um, they both were good, but no, the writing's average. Um, mm. What I was a little surprised about, uh, I should say straight up, I'm enjoying it. It was mm. hard to put down. Yeah. But I'm surprised at the amount of stealth. There's a lot yeah. of stealthing around the map. Mm. I'm, I, I'm, I'm enjoying it as well, overall. It is... I can't remember if it was you I was talking to or someone else about the the Far Cry formula of a new Far Cry game came, comes out and you know exactly how it's going to play, what it's going to play, like how it's going to feel and what it's going to do to you. If you enjoy that, every time Far Cry game comes out, you're gonna you're gonna have a good time. And it's the same with Sniper Elite games. And I I love the stealthy games. So even even this one, being a, this this is kind of the closest thing that we have to just the genuine straight up stealth game that's out on gen uh, new new gen consoles. So it's nice to have that in there. Um, but it's doing nothing original that this sh this series has ever done before. You've got the quintessential things in the um, sort of like oh yes, look there's a red thing right there. I bet if I shoot that. Yeah, it exploded. Everything red can explode. Um, hiding in the grass and jumping out. And turns out that running up to people and just melee killing them is OP. It's so overpowered, it's ridiculous. That's an interesting point, Words. It would be interesting to see them make a game like this, but in maybe a different setting with World War Two. You make an interesting make an interesting point, I was gonna say, but that's actually a little bit played out as well. Like, wow, mm -hmm. a video game set in World War Two, we've never done that before. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. they've done all of these games set in World War II, am I not mistaken? Yeah, yeah, every single um, Maybe it's time to take on a new challenge there. Mm. Um, you're right, it is OP, the sneak up and, and, and melee. You know what? It kind of reminded me a lot of actually the first of the new Wolfenstein games. I forget which one that was called. Was it the, the New Colossus? I can't remember. There's about uh, three or four of them. It was Wolfenstein, then New Colossus, and then uh, Youngblood. Um, the first of a reboot. So mm. Wolfenstein um is it <laughs> you can only fight nazis for so much Ooh, that's hard you need to have a break between nazi murder sprees from time to time yes i'll give you that nazis but... come in handy yeah um, um, it, it never feels bad killing a nazi i remember finding um finding myself in the wolfenstein games it was a lot more stealth in those games than new ones and there wasn't the old ones you used to blast everybody with this chain gun back in the day but there was a lot of stealthing around because you couldn't mm. just go in all guns blazing because you'd get freaking owned. Yeah. Um, so I find myself doing that a lot in, in Sniper Elite 5. Mm. Um, 
I find myself sneaking around a lot, trying to stay out of sight, coming in, still mm. killing, still killing, still killing. I'm having fun. I should keep going this, but mm. when do I get to use my sniper rifle? I never get to use my sniper rifle. You never get to snipe anybody. As soon as you snipe anybody, everyone on the map knows where you are. <laughs> That's why you use the surrounding noise to mask your location. That's really lame. Like uh, the, the noise thing was kind of poorly explained. That hadn't really got my head around exactly what that was for or how that it's, worked. It's pretty good fun because, like, you'll you'll find a so like an engine or something, you kick it and just yeah, I've, I've, or awesome. a car. I've seen them do it, but I'm just like, hmm. what's that for? Like, everybody, it's like it's how times I'm like, it would be nice if I had some way to use my sniper rifle a lot more than I do because I almost never use the sniper rifle. I almost never use any. I use my guns as a last resort. Mm. Uh, the silence pistol doesn't kill anybody unless you get it. Oh, yeah, no, it's not good. Sorry? <laughs> I said, yeah, it does. It just not, you're not good. <laughs> I don't know. I, it doesn't – it, it, like, it knocks a lot of helmets off um, <laughs> and stuff like that, but a lot of people don't die when you shoot them in the head. Mm. Um, That's where you need to choose your armor-piercing rounds. Yeah, anyway. So <laughs> even then, like, you're taking a risk. You're taking a risk as people spotting you. So um, – <laughs> This is not a massive complaint because I'm still I enjoy a stealth based game too, mm. and a stealth works well. You can tell when mm. someone can see you and how to quickly get out of sight, line of sight, and you know when you're in real trouble. I yeah. Mean, once it turns red and you're in combat, you can basically just re reload your save game because you're fucked. Because <laughs> um, this thing's come out of a woodwork. Um, it's true. It's true. I'm, I'm enjoying that the. the the, the, the way that the, the levels are built and designed in the sense the first one is the Atlantic Wall. You've mm. got this one mission, go here, get to the safe house kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but you blow up the radar, get to the safe house. But then you keep going and go, oh, actually, would you mind blowing up some of the anti-aircraft guns? Oh, and that big cannon over there, that's being a pain in the ass, would you mind doing that? Mm. And it's sort, of, it's sort of these little side missions keep popping up while you're doing things. Mm. And you're like, okay, this is fun. That's the, the, the weird kind of juxtaposition of some of the missions is I'm like, okay, I've got to stealth into this castle. Um, but on the way, oh, yeah, and the aircraft guns, the only way to destroy them is to blow them up, which is very counterintuitive if you're trying to stealth. <laughs> That's true. You, you do blow up a lot of stuff, and, like, people just go, oh, something blew up. Oh, well, I'll just continue being a Nazi now. <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite things is... Um, choosing uh, non-lethal rounds and with my sniper rifle and just finding a path where I'll, sh I'll put someone unconscious in very obvious location and you always get someone's like, huh, who's that? And go over. You just take them out. And then someone goes over to investigate in this. And you just end what, up this what, Explain what the, why would I want to use a non-lethal round ever? Uh, just to get some of the awards and unlock achievements. It, like I was like, I noticed one thing I like about it when you finish a level, it has this little grid that tells you mm. how you're playing, and I'm yeah. usually down in the bottom right hand corner stealthing <laughs> and stuff. But I'm like, like, oh, you, you could be stealthing but not killing them. Why the fuck would I do that? Why wouldn't I kill them? They're Nazis. <laughs> but it's it's just fun. Oh, it um, is. I, I enjoy um, booby trapping bodies occasionally, oh, and people yeah. find them, and every now and you're halfway across the map, and you just get the screen. Screen cuts and yeah, someone's blown to pieces by your grenade. I'm like, oh, that's good. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I like um, I like using armor piercing rounds and just taking out the vehicles as they go past. It's like, oh, they've got explosive barrels on the back. 
<laughs> massive explosion. And yet again, nobody really ever stops to investigate the fact that one of our giant trucks has exploded. Yeah, it's it's true. <laughs> oh, one of the trucks exploded. Oh well. <laughs> Just continue being More a Nazi. Hell. <laughs> That's some bad luck, isn't it? I'm glad I wasn't on that truck. Um, My God, he's an unlucky fellow. <laughs> I'm being I'm being overly critical. Okay, I, hmm. I I do find it annoying. I hate in the sniper game there isn't a lot of sniping that can be done because it gives you away too much. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, they're not even like, oh, he must be over there. Let's go and investigate. Mm. No, no, they all know you're there. And yeah. like that, you're, you're the game over, you re, might as well reload. But the one part of the game I haven't quite figured out, I don't think I, everyone <coughs> seems to be talking about how much it's a game changer for it and they love it. Mm. Is when randos invade my game. Oh, yeah. Really annoying. You can't turn that off, you know. I have turned it off. Yeah. But I'm like, I didn't even know it was on. <laughs> it's, this thing going, yeah. access invasion on the way. Like, on. what the fuck? What's yeah. going on? Yeah. It's also actually really good fun in uh, cooperative multiplayer mm. as well. Like I've been playing with uh, Patrick and Eric, and it's just really fun. So like, okay, guys, we've got three people. Let's take them all out at once. And there's always someone who's got, oh, sorry, I did it too soon. So like, oh, you Is that Eric? It's Eric, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember playing Black, Black for Blood with Eric. <laughs> yeah, he's a joker. <laughs> putting it lightly. Oh, did I kill everybody? Sorry. <laughs> so, um, look, I I would say, look, if you're you're like me, like I am not a shooter fan. Mm. You're not a shooter fan. No, you wouldn't even go near Overwatch. Um, so I got it on my Switch. Yeah. Um, did he go to the Switch? I don't know. Anyway, we're almost, we're almost at Overwatch two now. Mm. Um. So I'm not a shooter fan. And this isn't your typical shooter. This is not a no. Twitch shooter. This is not COD, mm. uh, not uh, Modern Warfare, um, uh, Battlefield or anything like that. It's yeah. it's very different. It is tactical. Yep. There's, some ta there's a lot of stealthing, at least, in this game. Trust yep. me, in zombie Nazi army, there's no stealth. Yep. No. Not worth your time. Um, but it is is stealthy so you've got to be careful you need to think about your moves and you kind of mm -hmm. need to try keep trying a bunch of different ways till you get it right mm -hmm. you don't need great twitch shooting abilities you don't have to be good uh you know quick time you know, uh, it, you know so it's a little bit different in that sense if you if you there's of course the the, the famous animations with the series is famous for if you shoot somebody again mm -hmm. in a particular way the game will slow yeah. down and good an x-ray cutscene of the Nazi you've just blown and I'll show you the bullet passing through their mm -hmm. head or something. So it can be a bit gruesome for some people. I enjoy it. Mm. Have you gotten yourself a testicle shot yet? I don't know that I have. Uh, you'll, you get told when you have a testicle shot. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> no, I'll keep working on it though. But um, it's, it's really, it feels really rewarding when you can queue up a shot and the bullet will go through one and then you and then it goes through a second person that you didn't even realize was behind them. That would be nice. It'd be a lot more possible if I could use my sniper rifle a few times um, <laughs> without them all finding me instantly. But um, I'm being, I, I'm enjoying it. I think if we have time, it'd be fun to see if we can get on it at the same time and we'll see get on it, get on at the same time. Yeah. What it looks like with um, another player because co-op games are few and far between these days. Ain't that the truth, my friend? Ain't that the truth? If oh, that rounds if say, especially if you have Game Pass. Sorry. Game Pass mm. is available for free on Game Pass. Yes. So 
That yes, is the best, the best advertisement for it yet. If you have Game Pass, if you don't, sign up for a month. You get it for 10 bucks or whatever it is, you know? I think I think at the moment they're doing is uh, $1 for a month. So you can't beat that yeah. value. It's okay. it's well worth it for, for a dollar a month. Yeah. All right, well, Sorry, I cut you off. We're going to finish off. it up here. Yeah, I was just rounding off the show. We've hit the, just gone past the two-hour mark for the first time in a little while, actually. Um, but thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us. Thank you for being in the chat, Word 789, as well as Fresh News 24-7. We do appreciate you coming in and checking us out, both of you, on YouTube. So thank you. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share us if you're interested. You can catch us live on twitch.tv slash thefriedbrain, as well as we do repost it on both of our um, uh, Facebook channels as well. It's George Terran and Travis Croft. We are at uh, George Terran and at Evil Trav on the tweets. Um, this week, we talked about our chain movie of the week, Kate and Leopold. Travis has chosen our chain movie follow-up, The Help. Uh, we talked about the first two, uh, well, we talked loosely about uh, the first episode and a half of Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, the surprising Chip and Dale, um, the Sex Pistols doco on uh, Disney+, Plus, as well as Stranger Things 4, finishing up with Sniper Elite 5. Um, we were told by, um, uh, by Fresh News 24-7 of... Um, the offer which we'll try and track down at some point somewhere and travis gave us a little tease that coming up on the show later on we will be having trek respective so that's something to look forward to in the coming weeks but Absolutely. thank you so much thank you very much everybody and good night good night